2: From Postcard from the Past and Wardell Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is a place where we dig deep into shoeboxes at the top of the wardrobe or under the bed, in attics or cellars, to consider picture postcards and explore what it is that causes us to keep hold of these small cardboard rectangles. Each time, I welcome two guests, and it's their postcards that act as small clues to direct us towards memories mysteries, and stories. I'm Tom Jackson, and I'm delighted to say that today my guests are two writers, Claire McIntosh and Nicholas Royal. Uh, Nicholas and Claire, welcome to Podcasts from the Past.
3: Hi, thank
4: you.
2: Thank you, Tom. Now, Nicholas Royal is the author of seven novels, two novellas, three volumes of short fiction. He's also edited 20, count them, 20 anthologies of short stories. Um, And he runs the Nightjar Press, Um, who specialise in uh, producing short stories in signed, limited-edition chapbooks. But uh, his latest book is White Spines, um, an unexpectedly compelling, fascinating, reflective, considered uh, memoir of his attempt to collect every one of those white-spined Picador paperbacks um, and his thoughts and observations and reflections along the way. Um, Nicholas joins us today bearing a slightly blurry Manchester postmark. Is that right? Hmm. That's right, Tom. So tell, tell me why that's uh, that's etched on your skin. Well,
4: uh, born and brought up in Manchester, and uh, although I went away at the age of 18 to university in London and stayed in London for 20 years, I then went back to Manchester And now I do that thing that writers often do. I divide my time between (laughs) Manchester and London.
2: Yes, the divide your time. Very good. So, Nicholas, do you still send postcards?
4: I still send postcards. I'm trying to remember the last. (laughs) Well, no, I suppose is the short answer. And I can't remember the last time that I did send them. Well, OK, I don't send them in the sense that I don't stick stamps on them and send them from, say, holidays. But every time that I send, or most times that I send a book to somebody, which I do very often, I will include a
2: postcard, and I will write on the postcard. Um, does that count? I think it does. I think that, I think okay. the postcard as compliment slip, or high-class yeah. compliment slip, durable compliment slip, I think that's very exactly. valid. So you still, okay, you still partake well, it, in that? In that case, yes, I send postcards every week. Oh, oh that's very good. Oh well, you you're a regular. I don't know why you were so diffident. <laughs> I've got, I've got huge
4: huge numbers of postcards that I I um I dip into these various different piles of postcards for the for just the right one for the right person.
2: And what is the secret of that? How do you, how do you match the card to the recipient? Um I, I
4: mean I have an idea of the recipient in my mind and I'm looking at the postcards I'm mingled with the postcards in some cases are photographs. Uh, I've got a large pile of photographs of container ships and other large vessels <laughs> taken by my late uncle.
2: Goodness.
4: And um, on the back of each one, he's written um, the name of the ship and the um, location and date uh, that the photograph was taken. And sometimes people get one of those. which i now, I don't know if that counts as a postcard. its It's doing the same job as a postcard, but it's it's like a sort of one-off, limited edition.
2: Yeah, that's a finite resource. You can't go out and buy more of those. No, I can't. But I do have a surprisingly <laughs> large number of them. And uh, this wasn't where I was expecting to go. But why? Why? Why does your uncle have all? Why did your uncle have all these all these photographs? Why did he take uh, them? It, um, he'd worked in the merchant navy when he was a young man, and
4: um, either he did that because he loved ships and seagoing, or. Um, in that left him with a love of these things. And in later life, um, uh, having left the Merchant Navy and having been a computer programmer and having stopped doing that, having retired, in other words, um, he became a keen
2: photographer of ships. Amazing, amazing. Well, there you are. I didn't expect to be talking about that. Very good. Well, we will find out more about your, your book obsession um, a little bit later on now. Claire McIntosh spent 12 years in the police force, um, including time on CID. Uh, but these days, she is very much an official, certified, award winning, best selling author, with more than 2 million copies of her books sold worldwide. 2 million, that's extraordinary. Uh, you might have read I Let You Go, or I See You, or Let Me Lie, or After the End. Um, but her latest is a thriller in the air. Um, it may not be holiday reading well we may not be going on holiday but it may not be holiday reading if you have to fly for your holiday uh, but it is gripping addictive and actually I found it very moving um, it's the excellent hostage now Claire comes to us today with a I think it's a Paris postmark is it can I just make out the ninth in there.
3: You, you can. You can make out the 9th the arrondissement um, or possibly the 18th. I, I might be sort of uh, straddling straddling the uh, Boulevard Rochechoir, I think. Um, I need, to get, I used I need to, to get my map out. Yeah, absolutely. I lived in Paris um, for uh, uh, um, a year or so when I was young. And wow. it is just a city that runs through my my blood I you know every time I get off the train and I'll always always try and go by train if I can the second I step onto Parisian soil I feel like I've come home
2: what is it I I think you know Paris obviously was one that was the great city at the turn of the 20th Mm. century but there's something about Paris that captures the imagination. It's, it's the place you might dream of, I think. What is it about Yeah,
3: it? I think so. I mean, I think for me, it's actually more about association. So it was right. the first place I lived on my own, the first place I earned my own wage, ah. rented my own apartment, you know, decided where I would go and, and who with. And so that, that sort of coming of age period is really important it could have been that i'd ended up you know in scunthorpe uh, at that critical moment of of my life and so actually my postmark would have been scunthorpe um it happened to have been paris oh
2: my god the the luck that has shone on you (laughs) very good very good we might even be hearing more about paris um shortly but claire when did you last send a postcard
3: oh uh, a couple of days ago i sent good work all the time. So I send, uh, I always send them on holiday. I I am <laughs> ridiculously traditional about uh, holidays. And if we're only away for a very short amount of time, and I know that the postcard will take longer to, to get back than we will, then it's almost the first thing I do when, yes. when we come out of the airport. Right, let's let's go and find a, a postcard to send home. Having That'll a lovely work. time, probably. Hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure we will. <laughs> so I always do it from holiday. I um, If I see a postcard that makes me smile or uh, makes me think of a person, then I'll send one. Um, I sent a beautiful, beautiful postcard recently that had beach huts on it, and and oh, nice. slightly three dimensional beach huts. And I sent it to uh, an author friend, Veronica Henry, who had just released a book about beach huts. And so I thought that was a nice thing to send to her. But I just, what I love about them is their informality. The fact that I don't have to write a long, long yes. letter. I can just scribble a couple of lines or a, you know, thinking of you and pop it in the post. It, it feels. It feels very, very easy and casual, and it doesn't place any burden of expectation on the person receiving it.
2: Well, I think you're right, and I think I think actually I think those sentiments and that sense of immediacy and simplicity and, and informality are actually what what allowed the postcard to kind of boom so rapidly at the at the at the, uh, the beginning of the 20th century.
3: Absolutely, and and I um, I think it's great that people do still send postcards, or at least that they buy postcards. You know, the, the cost of, of stamps is is so prohibitively expensive <laughs> for many people. But, but that, you know, that's, that's an issue. But you can tell, I mean, I live in Snowdonia, so it's a very, very touristy area. And when I walk down my high street, there are racks and racks of postcards right. for sale outside the shops. And I love seeing that because it tells me that people are still buying postcards.
2: Yes. Well, and it's, you know, it's still a pocket money souvenir, isn't it? It's cheaper than buying a uh, cheaper than buying the T-shirt.
3: It certainly is. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Right. Well, we'll we'll find out more about this. But before we hear about the cards that Claire and Nicholas have brought along, um, I'll do a quick one of mine. This is like a a postcard from the past card, like I do on Twitter and in the book. Um, So here's the first one. This is um, it's a black and white multi view, meaning there's several images on the card, there's five, in fact, in this case, of picturesque South Devon. Um, now, and Claire and Nicholas have got sort of sheets in front of them with all the different cards we're discussing today, so, um, you know, they can refer to page whatever it is. Um, but I'll describe it. It's, it's got five images, um, Dartmouth, Fish Quay in Brixham. Uh, the central image is Eastgate in Totnes. Then it's uh, Salkham and Cockington Forge. Cockington Forge is a sort of postcard staple, and... Um, Every box of postcards I pick up. There's always one of Cockington Forge, this little sort of um, picture. Uh, what do you call it? A chocolate box, kind of thatched village. Anyway, uh, this particular card, let me see. This was sent in September 1960. So we're going back a bit, actually. Um, and it was sent to uh, Lenham near Maidstone in Kent. It's not signed, but I imagine the person who received it at the... Marley Tile Company uh, would have known who it was from. So it's, it's a postcard to work. That was a, it was a big thing sending postcards to work. And so this one says that having a marvelous time, sailing, swimming, and lazing about on the beach in scorching sunshine, the best weather so far this year. Only snag is I miss my foam cushion as the beaches are very hard. And I thought, I mean. I think it's an in-joke for the office. I bet this person, (laughs) when they sit in the office, they sit on a foam cushion, you know, people have their own favourite cushions in the office and stuff. I don't know. But it just seemed an odd thing to say. You're in the beach, it's lovely weather, best weather ever, and then... (laughs) And I've never seen anyone take a foam cushion to the beach either.
3: Maybe, maybe she's got hemorrhoids, you know. I, I don't think we should mock her. Oh, the, she, I wondered if someone the, would say that. One of the, those the special right wing down. cushions. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yes, I know, I know exactly what you mean. How how, how
3: hard are these beaches? I I know South Devon really well. And actually, I've never been to Cockington Ford, which is something I feel I need to correct. But Dartmouth, Sulcombe um, and Brixham were very much part of of my childhood holidays. So I'm sort of racking my brains now to think about just how hard these beaches were. (laughs) And whether as a seven or eight year old, I was actually subconsciously thinking, if only yeah. Only I had a foam cushion.
2: And I think it's quite sandy around there, isn't it? It's not, it's not like you're dealing with pebbles like at Brighton or something.
3: No, no, but clearly very hard sand.
2: Yes, yeah, so maybe the tide's just gone out and it's still sort of compacted with... I don't know. Anyway.
4: I don't even associate Salkham, uh, where we did go often on family holidays, I don't even associate that with beaches, um, oh. which may be relevant.
2: Or maybe I just don't remember the beach there. Well, the picture here shows a um, sort of harbour, I think. so um, yes. But, yeah and but,
3: there, there are beaches and i would imagine that in the 60s it was a really glorious place to to be and really quite unspoiled nowadays i mean it's still it's still lovely but it's quite she isn't it sulcombe it's yeah. it's it's got oh, all the fancy shops in it
2: and i think they've used those special devices to soften the beaches haven't they now so it's all very almost fun. certainly yeah yeah uh, okay well let's just try one more quickly uh of, of this kind this is a card also we're still at the seaside um this is a color picture now and and um It's actually a rather extraordinary shot. It's sort of the high street in Clacton-on-Sea. And they've artfully taken the picture through a kind of municipal flower bed uh, with, I don't think they're poppies, little red flowers. So the whole thing looks like you're looking at um, an Edwardian English high street through um, a Dutch poppy field or something, a Dutch tulip field. So the whole bottom of the card is, is Flowers, and then behind it, this high street with um, the Milk Bar, uh, perhaps something called Lillian, perhaps it's a hairdresser's. It, if I have my magnifying glass, I can see the names of all the shops. Um, and uh, this one is it's also from a similar age, let me just see, 1965, a bit later, August 1965, it's a Harvey Barton card, Harvey Barton or a big Bristol publisher. Um, that that logo was um, the the, the bridge across the seven and this one this was sent to Canterbury Sturry in Canterbury Uh, actually sent from London so I think they probably waited till they got home to send it and it was sent from someone called Jude and it says Dear Mummy and Daddy I'm having a lovely time weather very good yesterday Uh, coming by coach on Friday night Hope Dad is much better now. Don't forget buttonhole and Pyrex dishes. I'll get some wrapping paper. Love Jude. So I, I'm really intrigued. I'm always intrigued by how much you can get across in how few words. And I'm not well. I'm not quite sure what's going on. The buttonholes just to I me. Mean, there's a wedding coming up.
3: Oh, I hope it's her wedding. I hope it's her it was her wedding and they were doing it on a shoestring and the whole week everyone's been making vol-au-vents and um, you know, little cocktail sausages and someone in the family has gathered up the flowers and made the buttonholes and it's all very, very low key and she's racing home to get married.
2: Well maybe, maybe. And and did you say car, it wasn't stamped, Tom? No, it's stamped. It's um Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a stamp on it, and it's uh, August 1965. Um, sent at 3:45 p.m. Actually, on 4th of August. Um, yeah, no, no. It's 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 arrived. I think it was posted in London. I think rather than posted in. Oh, that's right, uh, Clacton. But the pyrex. Dishes... Looking through,
4: I'm sorry. Uh, look, looking through my old postcards, I found some that I had sent, either to my parents or to uh, grandparents. Um, that had never been stamped. So presumably I'd written them on holiday. They'd never been stamped. I'd carried them home, and I've still got
2: them. (laughs) Ah. Well, there is a certain sadness or certain melancholy to that. There is, yes. Because I I do go through boxes and boxes of thousands and thousands of cards, and it's not unusual to find cards where they've been addressed and no message written and and gone nowhere Uh, near a postbox, which is very much good intentions, or even half a message written and then they've run out of things to say and not sent it. Yeah, And, and I'm kind of relieved when I see that because I know I've been guilty of that. You know, there are yeah. times you think, oh, i better send that. Oh. And it's a really, it, it's quite a, a profound feeling of guilt not to have completed sending a postcard, I find. Very much. I must say I love the architecture
4: of those buildings on the high street there at Pier Avenue. In Clapton on Sea, uh, which strike me as being somewhat Flemish in design, oh, which makes yes. sense, you know, given it's that it's just across the uh,
2: the channel. You're right. At the, the, the top, they're all sort of they go into a yeah. little peak, don't they? Yeah, um,
3: it's yeah, brilliantly no, I mean, it composed. I think. I actually, I love this postcard. I, I, I think you were slightly <laughs> mocking of it, and and I was well, maybe. <laughs> I, I think it's glorious. I love the colours, which actually look. Weirdly, weirdly contemporary. So, so it's almost as though someone has put it on Instagram and applied, uh, you know, one of those those clarity filters yes. that makes it quite vibrant. Uh, it, I'm fairly confident that, that Clacton on Sea didn't look quite so vibrant as that. But I, I think it's a great postcard.
2: Well, I'll remind everyone at home, um, images of these cards, um, including the uh, the, the marvellous flower display in Clacton, um, are going to be on the uh, the blog postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see that we're we're not making it up and we're not just uh, indulging in flights of fancy. Now, um, Nicholas and Claire, you've both been kind enough to dig out for us some postcards of your own. Let's start with you, Nicholas. Now, there's yep. a couple of cards you've pre- prepared for us, and they and they have something very specific in common, don't they? They do. Um, they are what I call
4: inclusions. Now, an inclusion is normally a word used to apply to an insect or a piece of bark that might have been caught in amber, um, might have been caught in the resin when it was setting and that becomes amber. Um, and so I use the word to describe things that you find or things that, well, things that I find and things that uh, lots of us find in secondhand books, because um, <laughs> I am forever hunting through secondhand bookshops and charity shops, and um, for a long time, for many years, I would find the occasional inclusion inside a book and hang on to it. Um, and then, in the last couple of years, it's become it's become one of the sort of Compulsions that I feel in, <laughs> in in regard to book collecting, so that now very often I will be looking specifically for that telltale little sort of shadow line that you get in yes. in the text block of a book when you can see when looking down on the top edge of the book, you can see that there's
2: there's something there, um, and so of you're, course you're in, you're in, hunting in, and you're hunting within yeah, what you're hunting it's sort of yes. going down a. a what do they call it a mise en abime of looking for stuff yeah, mise en abime exactly and that that little um that little black line
4: that suggests there's something there of course can be just a page turned uh, <laughs> you know the, the the top corner of the page turned but then if if it's if you're lucky it's not and there's something there and it's an inclusion uh, and i found all sorts of things um photographs uh, bus tickets um little memos business cards uh, boarding cards, train tickets, uh, love letters, wow. and, of course, postcards. Um, so I've got one here um, that was found in a book, uh, at page 91 of Farewell Fond Dreams, Fictions by Giles Gordon. Okay. And this was published in 19... 19- Seventy-five. It's so you've got the book in front book. of you? I've got the book in front of me because Brilliant. I always keep Brilliant. the inclusion in the book and I keep yes. it at the exact page yes. where I found it. And, and I make a note so that if I take it out, as I did just a moment ago, yes. um, I won't experience the little moment of panic that I did just experience. <laughs> and, and then I remembered it, it was page 91. Excellent. Um, and this, uh, Giles Gordon is one of my favourite writers, and uh, this is one of his collections of short stories. And he's signed it in the front of the book, Paddy and Dulan, D-U-L-A-N, with much love, Giles, 24th February 1975. Um, I paid either 16 or £6 pounds for it, it's not clear which, from Barter Books in Annick in Northumberland. Um, anyone who's not been to Barter Books who is interested in in bookshops, second-hand books, or even just converted railway stations because that's what it is, um, has a great treat in store. It's one of the best second-hand bookshops in the country. And on one visit there several years ago, I found an, a, a, a few books by Giles Gordon. They'd obviously all been acquired together and they were all signed to Paddy and Doolan, right. um, b- both of whom are deceased I found out who they were, Paddy Kitchen and Dulan Barber. Um, Paddy uh, was a um, uh, novelist and uh, she married Doolan. Uh, Doolan was her second husband. Uh, Doolan was also a writer. Um, and um, so the postcard is a postcard of St. Moore's in Cornwall.
2: Yes.
4: And it was posted in 1974 in Falmouth where um, as well as going to Salkham on uh, holidays when I was a child we often went to Falmouth as well um, basically we didn't go to Salkham we went to Falmouth um, uh, or Foye uh, and the postcard is addressed to all, all at 4 Holyport Road London SW6 6LZ this is in Fulham and I intend to go and have a look I've already had a look on Street View um, but I do intend to go and have a look. And um, I mean, if I'm feeling bold at some point, I might write to them and see if there's any connection yeah. with the past. So is, um, is, is the, this where, is this, was this sent to Paddy and
2: Julian?
4: Well, this is what I don't know um, right, right, because it's only, it's addressed to, that's the gap. It's addressed to all at this address in Holyport Road. And there's no salutation, just goes straight into it. And I think it, I, I think it's a woman's writing Um, obviously I might be wrong Um, and let's say she she writes I had meant to take a break up the Fowl to Truro but they're only running one p.m. trip now so came here instead on the ferry you get a magical view of Falmouth and it was very calm and a nice feeling to be on the sea again I felt very sad not to be able to gather up an armful of mackerel at 4p each that they're (laughs) selling in St Moore's Harbour for P and P Though I suppose they wouldn't recognise fish with heads and tails. Love P, so there are three P's, three P's. here. The centre of the card is called P, and she is talking about uh, two other people called P and P. Now I'm guessing that P and P, they, they I, I thought at first they'd sounded like children, but I don't know. Cats, um, cats, cat, why yeah, cats?
3: Pe- pepper and Poppy, or uh, or <laughs> so pepper they eat and...
4: fish. <laughs> I get you. That it could certainly be cats. That's a very good idea, Claire. I like that.
2: And they have cat food um, that doesn't look like fish. Normally. Yes,
4: exactly. So, be, because it's signed P, I just can't help thinking that it might be Paddy Kitchen, uh, the oh, writer of the card, um, sending him
2: back home. Yes, exactly. Um, right. It's a possibility. Gosh, and uh, but do you do you want to know all the details, or do you like not quite knowing? Well, that's a very good question, Tom, actually, because sometimes I do start digging and I do a little bit of detective.
4: I mean, what I like is to conjecture and yeah. to imagine and, and to come up with my own theories. And yeah. I like I like things being ambiguous. I like that in fiction, when I write fiction, and I like it in this uh, scenario as well. And occasionally, so for instance, I found something inside a book that I bought in Chalton Oxfam Bookshop near me in, in South Manchester, Uh, that mentioned Emma and um, then it had some notes on it about some curtains from a curtain designer and some measurements and now I know an Emma I work with an Emma um, at at the university where I work and uh, I know that she lives in Chalton and I've even seen her twice in the Oxfam bookshop so I asked her if it was her and she said that it wasn't so that immediately kind of spoiled some of that the, took some of the fun out of that and spoiled the mystery so there is a, a part of me that doesn't want to go to holy port road or write to holy port road and and find out you know if if paddy and dolan have um surviving family members in it because the may debate there, there may be no story there
2: yes um, also there is so i don't know is the answer you can to. never really go back you can never really bring that moment back to life you can only find yeah. out a series of Sort of cold facts about it, and, and there's an extent to which. Yeah. How how much more fun will that be? I don't know, because I I, I sort of think about all that, all the names and all the postcards I have got, but that is almost a vision of of, of, of madness to be able to try and yes. make sense of all of them, so I sort of see them as just sitting there vibrating with meaning, some of which I can hold on to, but most of which will just disappear into the ether and I can never... I just have to enjoy the aroma of it or the aura of it. Exactly. There's no way, I don't think, that I would be able to
4: uh, investigate any further into the, the identities of the people involved in the other inclusion that I've got here, which is a postcard... It's an art postcard... Uh, depicting the Thames at Westminster Bridge in 1906, a painting by André Derain, D-E-R-A-I-N, whose dates were 1880 to 1954, it says here. And Amazing the picture. card, it is a nice picture. Uh, and I, obviously I know that view from the um, South Bank. Um, uh, the postcard is it's very short, and it's it wasn't sent through the post like this. It was obviously put in an envelope or something. Well, it was put in an envelope with the book I found it in, um, I assume, uh, which is Cormac McCarthy's All the Pretty Horses. And I found it at page 151. And it was dated January 1994. And it says, My dearest Kate, please, please forgive me. I am so sorry I am on my knees begging you. Hmm. Hope you feel better. The book is one I haven't read, but everyone says it's great. Love you lots. And then I think the signature is Adam. Yes. Um, so what's Adam there's done? A sort of, well, what has Adam done? That's the mystery. And there's a strange sort of change of tone. One minute he's on his knees begging her, and the next minute, hope you feel better. The book is one I haven't read, but everyone That's says it's great. Yes, Uh, A
3: change of tone because he has no sincerity whatsoever. And I'm afraid Kate Kate did not even read that book. She pushed the card back in. uh, It went straight to the charity shop and she is absolutely not going to forgive him. In fact, they haven't spoken since uh, January
2: 1994. It is a strange one, isn't it? Because if you've had a row with someone, the last thing you're going to do is suddenly read a book they're recommending because yes. I'm sick of, I'm sick of you and now I'm going to spend x number of hours sort of indulging in a, in in a, in a work of fiction that you think is good I just think that's just no no go for a walk <laughs> yeah I I was just looking to see if I have a note somewhere
4: about where um where that came from but it's not immediately uh I think I didn't write about it in the book because um, I've got many many more such uh, uh, inclusions and, and books with messages in that I didn't
2: uh, include in white spines. Just one more thing on this, this notion of inclusions. The, the, you've noted the the page where these are kept. Yeah. Now yeah. that often, to me, would if, if if I look on my own bookshelves and I find a bookmark in a book, it's normally a sign of failure because that's where you got to when you yeah. didn't get any... Unless you've marked a particularly interesting place. But normally it's, I got this far, I had a run-up, I got to page you know, 253, and then it kind of went no further. But I felt bad, so I didn't throw the book away or put it in the charity shop. Yeah. I was, I'll I'll come back to that. So yeah. do you, are, the, are the bookmarks and the inclusions, are they at the place where the book gets dull? Well,
4: what, I mean, it could be as simple as, for instance, I was reading... Donna Tartt's The Secret History uh, not long after it came out and like everyone else although I well yeah and I was enjoying it I found it fairly compelling but at the same time I found it wearying simply because of its length and I think right. it was around about that time that I started to tire of long books right. and and to and to to long for shorter books and shorter novels Uh, And for some reason, there was some distraction that took me away from it towards the end of the book. And I never went back to it. And I was probably only about 50 pages from the end, but I didn't quite feel enough
2: need to go back and finish it. (laughs) So I never did. And so there's a bookmark or a postcard in there somewhere, is there? There probably is, yeah.
3: You see, the first thing I do if I'm getting rid of a book, which I try not to do because I try and keep all my books, but if I'm getting rid of it, I will flick through and make sure I've left nothing
0: in it. I I,
3: I hate the idea that even something like a train ticket that represents a a piece of my life is going to be dissected, actually, by by people like you.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I know what you mean. And, and I tend to flick through before getting rid of the work. Um, clearly, an awful lot of people don't. And then beyond that, I'm, I'm amazed at the number of, say, volunteers at Oxfam or um, secondhand booksellers who acquire these books and put them on their shelves. Are they not flicking through? And if they are, are they not removing things? And I'm, I must have to say, I'm really, really glad they're not because yes, it's, it provides me with so much pleasure. And, and I know, of but the- I
3: know from from my librarian friends that there are the most peculiar things found, you know, used <laughs> oh, yes. as as bookmark, like, you know, banknotes and bacon rashers and yeah. pieces of of ties and all sorts of things.
4: Well, somebody told me on Twitter yesterday that they found a live centipede in uh, in a book. Now, what was it? A Barry Lopez novel, I think.
3: <laughs> a, a, a centipede of discerning taste. I mean, presumably that's. That's down to the centipede. I can't actually imagine someone going, oh, damn it, I'm in bed, I haven't got my bookmark. Oh, I know. Reach out. I'll just use my pet centipede.
2: (laughs) I'll free it in the morning. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Very good, very good. Well, um, thank you for your introduction to the world of of inclusions, Nicholas. That's really um, illuminating. Um, Claire, what's the first postcard that's landed on your doormat?
3: Okay, so so this one is, is not an inclusion. This this was given to me personally. It didn't come Excellent. through the post. Uh, it is a Shakespearean uh, postcard, although not from Shakespearean times. So um, it's uh, it, it's produced by uh, an artist called Louisa Hare. It's a it's a First Folio card, and her First Folio cards are glorious things. They're they're very sort of tactile. Um, Almost rustic looking, and they're letter block printed.
2: Oh, very nice.
3: Um, she's based uh, sort of somewhere near Stratford, and uh, they are. I think she has other types, but she has a big, big range of Shakespeare cards. And this particular one fi- uh, features um, a scene from Twelfth Night, it's one of my favourite scenes from Twelfth Night. It's um, it's Malvolio, and the card is all black and white except for his stockings which are as anyone who's read 12th night or seen it will know are yellow because this is the moment where he's been sent a letter uh, purporting to be from his beloved uh, olivia asking him to to wear yellow stockings for her and of course he turns up and all his mates laugh at him which is
2: cross-gartered is that it
3: cross-gartered that's right yeah Um, And at the bottom of this card, it says, uh, some are become great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them, um, Mm. which is an excellent quote. And this card was given to me by my A-level English teacher, Mrs. McDonald. And she was a brilliant teacher. And when we left school to do, you know, ready for our exams, she gave each of us a card with a very personal message on it. And my message says, Well, Claire, are you headed for greatness? (laughs) Remember me when you're famous. Let's hope the Shakespeare paper has helped you on the way. Uh, you must promise to come back and see me. Much love, Mrs. MacDonald. Um, needless to say, I never did go back and, oh. and see her. And and actually, <laughs> truth be told... You could edit for-
2: that bit out, don't worry.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten all about this this card. It had oh. gone in my box of memories. Yes. And then not so long ago, I was looking for something else, something from my police days. And I found this card. And the I looked at the picture, first of all, and I thought, oh, I'd forgotten how much I love that quote and how... Accurate it is. Um, and then I read the message and I thought, well, you know, I'm not famous, famous, but I think Mrs. McDonald would be quite pleased actually, You're that she's getting away with it. I was <laughs> <laughs> that I'd become a published author um yes. and sold a couple of million books. Great. Uh so I don't know if Mrs. McDonald is still around, but she certainly inspired me to enjoy literature and to write books. So that's quite a special card,
2: uh, and it
3: and it looks great too.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I think if if you're looking for arguments why sending that postcard rather than not sending that postcard is a good thing, I think if that gave you a push over the line, that's got to be a good thing, has not it?
3: Oh, definitely. I mean, we we can all remember teachers who, you know, left left a, a positive impact on us and made us feel that we could achieve great things. Uh, and, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm sure that Mrs MacDonald would have done that for every single one of her students every year that she taught.
2: Even the absolutely hopeless ones.
3: Even the hopeless ones. <laughs> maybe especially the hopeless ones. Yes, yes. Because they're the ones who, who really needed it. And I just, you know, they're, they're busy people, aren't they, teachers? And actually writing individual postcards is a really lovely thing to do. It so is. I shall treasure this one.
4: Sometimes... Uh, sorry, Tom. Sometimes mm. teachers, of course, are able to inspire you, um, not, by, not by deliberately encouraging you. For instance, my English teacher, Peter Craze, um, who once memorably said to me, uh, yes, Nick, literature is a matter of opinion,
2: but you're wrong and <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> yes, and, and, and what do you think about what he said?
4: Uh, well, obviously, uh, I couldn't disagree with him. He's uh, <laughs> especially now he's he's gone sadly.
2: The, the, I, I, one thing that surprises me about this this, this um, card now maybe I'm just misremembering it, but the quote that you tend to hear is some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Because that makes sense that you you, you have three different. But this is some have become great. How's that different from having greatness thrust upon you?
3: Well, I would suggest that becoming great is something that you do yourself, that you develop into. So you're just, um, it's sort of your natural development. And then achieving is working towards it and having it thrust upon them is sort of almost against your will.
2: I think this is nicer, actually. I think you're right. Because if you're born great, that's just a bit unfair, it's it's you know, also a bit the kin- unlikely. The king I mean, I, born great.
3: I, you know, I like my my three children very much, and and they've got many redeeming uh, qualities. But <laughs> redeeming. I don't think they were <laughs> born great. Right, I mean, right, to be honest, right. they, were they were born, born lovely. Like, yeah, a bit squally and you know, <laughs> often irritating. So yes. I think probably becoming great yes. is is more realistic.
2: No, and I, I suppose if you're a teacher as well, sending this. You're very much about bringing out of people, about developing people. It's not a, if a genius walks into your class; it's a bit tedious, you know. Job's done.
3: Oh, and can you imagine how annoying they'd be to
2: to teach? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And do you think this this designer is still out there um, making cards like this?
3: Oh, she is. Yeah, she is. She's got a huge range, and Brilliant. I absolutely love them.
2: Brilliant. And it's and the, obviously I've just got a scan in front of me. It's on a sort of heavy stock, is it? The card.
3: Yeah, it is. It's it's a really um, beautiful uh, sort of thick paper. It's not it's not really card. It's th- it's thick paper, um, and it's all. Uh, I mean, it, it is actually machine printed, but the the feel of it, the look, is very much as though someone is sitting there with a you know wooden letter it's a press block type thing. pressing them out. They're all slightly Wonderful. different, um, and yeah, they're they're beautiful cards.
2: Um, I will do another quick uh, postcard from the past card. Now, this is a, a card of Balls Park College in Hartford, a sort of um, institutional building, um, rather artfully photographed actually with a sort of um, a tree framing it on, on, on across two sides, a sort of dangle on the, on the, on the uh, above it. It's black and white card, and it was sent in 1975 a rather aggressive stamp on it, uh, uh, a frank on it, saying, remember to use the postcode. Um, I think postcode's were big news in 1975. And this is sent um, from someone who calls herself Aphrodite in the Pink Nighty. Now, I'm not...
3: Stand by. I'm
2: I'm not convinced that's her name (laughs) or that she's necessarily dressed in the said item. And it's sent to Miss B. Bevan of uh, Winchmore Hill, London. And this is very much in the um, the, the genre of the um, teenage girl postcard. W- whenever I'm going through boxes of postcards, if I find cards from teenage girls, I know they're always going to be sort of funny and larky and lots of sort of teasing jokes. Teenage boys don't send postcards, so they don't <laughs> exist, But they're, they're always... And they're kind of silly and jokey in, in a way that... Um, that postcards aren't when you're younger and they aren't when you're older. Teenage girls always was a bit of fun. So she says, Dear Bino and family. So Bino Bevan, that must be her nickname. A bit of... uh, bit of all right up here, then. Exclamation. A bit of all right up here, then. This postcode thing has got rather in the way. Um, Something around... Something about... uh, on the grounds this morning after brekkers until I started to get stuck in the quick mud. Lots of girls were up here last night, so it's certainly swinging, exclamation mark. Rowena's just put her new contact lenses in. This is cutting-edge technology in 1975. And Sue's making a picture. Anyhow, I'm off to work. Borrow your car Friday, question mark. Love from Aphrodite in the Pink Nighty. Four exclamation marks, two kisses, and then I've got Winnie the Pooh, two exclamation marks. So the sort of private language between these friends makes it completely incomprehensible, really. They're having fun, she's having a laugh, but I've really no idea what she's talking about. I don't know if you can make any sense out of that. But, Tom, what about the blue arrow?
3: This is the best thing about this, but I can't believe you've not mentioned yeah. it. Yeah. Tell well, us about the front, the front
2: of it. Quite. There's an intervention on the front, as I believe they're, they're referred to. We've had inclusions. These are interventions where she's put an arrow onto the, the sort of attic room, I suppose, a blue arrow. But no mention is made. It doesn't say my room is marked with an arrow or, um, you know, this is where we're staying. So she's obviously just done it. or auto- But maybe you don't need to. Maybe it's obvious. An arrow means that's where I am doesn't mean that's where I climbed this morning or, um, you know, that's where the plane crashed.
3: Oh, I think uh... it absolutely, I think it absolutely does. It's uh, (laughs) Aphrodite and the Pink Nighty. What fun. Rowena hadn't put her contact lenses in the night before. Uh, Couldn't really see anything. They ended up on the fire escape, on the roof. What (laughs) japes.
2: Yeah. And they're all in hospital now. Lol. Lol. Yeah. Lol. Before there were lols.
3: Oh yes. So, and I wonder why. You know why Balls Park College? I'm I'm frantically sort of googling as as we're we're talking to find out if someone was working there, but it seems seems to have been a private house until 1946. What's the date of the card?
2: 1975
3: marvellous in which case uh this is a teacher training college so we've got young teachers do you think they were they were a bit older than i thought yeah she's
2: acting like she's about 16 she's probably Well, she says uh, she's going to work doesn't she yeah yeah and he got the car as well so she's got to be 17 she's just having a lark um yeah no she's perhaps a bit older than i thought well that's probably why she could afford the pink ninety.
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: You're listening to Podcast from the Past, the postcard podcast, and my guests today are writers Claire McIntosh and Nicholas Royal. Now, here's a surprise. We've received a postcard, and it's a postcard of Chartres Cathedral, and it's from... Uh, Julia Edwards of uh, Cheshire and she she says the answers are one, Queen Victoria and two, Hollyoaks. Uh, well, sorry, Julia, they're the wrong answers. <laughs> we'll continue with the postcard stories. Now, Nicholas, <laughs> what's the second card you've got for us? This is something that you've framed up, am I right? Yes. Um My favourite
4: artist, Um, I mean, I might say my my favourite Belgian surrealist, but he (laughs) is also my favourite artist. He's in some competition there as well. Yes. um, There are a surprising number of Belgian surrealists, but Paul Delvo uh, is the one who takes the biscuit. Uh, For me, he lived a long life, uh, uh, 1980, 80 no 1897 to 1994 God. and um I became a of I became a big fan of his work in 1980 uh, when I was 17 and I was given for Christmas I think a copy of a single by Bauhaus called Dark oh, nice. Entries and on the cover was a, a painting and um It was credited on the back as being uh, part of a painting called Venus Asleep by Paul Delvaux, and it said Tate Gallery. Um, Now, being very naive, um, I just imagined that it would be hanging on the wall in the Tate Gallery. Um, And so at some point went to London in the hope of finding it. And there it was. It happened to be hanging on the wall. And um, so anyway, I became a big, big fan of Paul Delvaux. He 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 paints these scenes, sort of classical architecture, moonlit cityscapes, um and there's always these um women who appear to be walking in their sleep through these landscapes, right. these cityscapes, often asleep. Uh, sleepwalking is, is that's the look. Um so I um uh i used to write letters to people who i was uh particularly who whose work i admired uh fan letters i suppose yes, you yes. could call them and i wrote one to paul delvo um uh, i probably sent it in around about 1991 uh, when i was trying to write about him in fiction yes. and um i didn't expect to hear back but um but i did hear back Uh, and he sent me a postcard of one of his later works and he signed it on the back so he didn't write anything else he just signed the postcard and um, I think I mean it actually came back from the um, manager or administrator or director of the museum devoted to his work in St in Belgium and um, so I framed it and I, I acquired another copy of the postcard so that I could frame both the reverse side, which he had signed, and the uh, image. So the image um, is fr- a
2: subsequent purchase? Yes. Because oh, yeah. um, okay. you can't see I, That's the point. Exactly. Um, so if I were to turn it over
4: the the reverse of the card that has his signature on, uh, you would see the same image as the, as the other card. Um, good and but foolishly um i having framed it i hung it on the wall and didn't um didn't take any precautions and oh, to no. avoid <laughs> to avoid um fade and the signature has completely 100% faded um you can you can still see the impression he obviously used a ballpoint and you yes. can still see the impression of the ballpoint pen on the card uh, if you look very
2: carefully, what, what uh, colour was the ink? It was blue, I think. Because it's really gone, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah, completely. Yeah. You couldn't have hidden it better. The sun has just done no. it. Yeah.
3: Oh, that's awful. And also, my my sort of takeaway point from this, because I I sign everything, um, from you know, checks to books to. autographs for my millions of of, uh, autograph hunters in in ink with a fountain pen. But clearly, I should take a leaf out of his book and and use a biro so that at least the (laughs) indentation is still there. Because otherwise, all those collectors of my signature will be devastated in years to
2: come. Yes, it disappears before their eyes.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
4: But then maybe the kind of ink you're using Claire, lasts longer. Maybe it will
2: last forever.
3: I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of an ink fiend. I'm using one at the moment called Writer's Blood. Oh,
2: wow! What, what, <laughs> that great. what, what color is that?
3: Um, well, it won't surprise you to know that it's a sort of <laughs> bloody color, a <laughs> really? brownish, brownish red. It's um, Good, excellent.
2: Lord. Yeah,
3: it's. You're, I, you're I, just I know... using that
2: for signatures. You're not, you're not writing a book in that.
3: Well, I I no, I write all my books on um on the computer, but I right. do all my planning longhand and my sort of I have a book to to the right of my computer which has my daily to do lists and right. I use my fountain pen for that with all the Very time. Good.
2: And do you use different coloured inks or is this just the set ink you're using at the moment?
3: I yeah, I mix it up. I normally have a green. I've got a, a really beautiful um uh Edelstein um ink uh in a nice. jade colour and that's my my favourite but I bought Writer's blood uh, at a, a crime writing festival at the weekend ah. so I'm using that now.
2: Very good. Oh and, uh, was it a hot seller at the at the festival?
3: It was, yeah, it was. And all my sort of postcards and letters I'll I'll always use a fountain pen.
2: Very good. I must say I think I think it it's the daylight is the issue here, isn't it? I think that's what um has destroyed it, and if you keep things closed up, you're, the, the, the ink will pretty much stay forever.
4: But there's a sadness in that, isn't there? Um, you know, I like the fact that when I went to, to go and look for Venus asleep in the Tate Gallery, it was hanging on the wall. And uh, there's, there's sadness to the thought of that great painting, and as many great paintings are, just sort of sitting in a vault. Um, yeah. So Maybe I could have kept be... this postcard... Uh, hidden away, and it would have uh, not have faded, but I wouldn't have been able to look at it every day.
2: You mm. get that thing in some galleries or museums, particularly sort of small ones, where there's a little curtain in in front of certain things. That's oh, always yeah. very exciting. That makes it feel very special. It, yeah,
3: mm. but now I'm I'm with you, Nicholas. I I, th- I mean, it is tragic that the signature yeah. has faded, except that the impression is there, and also you yeah. y- you know he signed it, he touched it, yeah. and and I. I hate the idea of keeping anything for for best, whether yes. it's you know books yeah. that you can't touch or pictures in vaults, yes. or even you know best crockery or a, a you know a bracelet that you don't want to lose. Uh, I think life is short, and we all need yeah. to enjoy the lovely things if we're lucky to have them.
2: I think you are. Yeah, completely, I think completely. It's very easy not to do that. And I think you're absolutely right, Claire. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's 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 something that I'm not very good at. Oh, I won't wear that yet. I'll just keep that. What what, what are you keeping it for, you idiot? What what are you expecting to happen? What is this thing? When's when's this day going to arrive? Very good. Well, look, um, thank you for for sharing Delvaux's evanescent signature. That's something quite... There's something surreal about that in itself, the signature that isn't there. Yeah. Sussi Népazan's signature. (laughs) (laughs) Something something like that, something like that. And now, Claire, what's the final card you've got for us?
3: I love that you've done it in this order. Talk about from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, (laughs) This card is possibly one of the most hideous cards I have ever, ever seen.
2: Thank God you said that.
3: Um, and, And this is why I've chosen it, because I went through a period of time when I would deliberately seek out really ghastly cards and send them to people and this this one actually i I haven't sent it's blank on on the back but it's it's within a collection of other awful cards and um i bought it in paris and it's um uh, so i will i will say the artist because i don't think this is the artist's fault exactly so so this is a design by the illustrator serge Bloch, who has uh Got work in hundreds and hundreds of books and across card ranges um, <clears throat> but let me let me describe this this is a, a white background, very very cheaply produced card uh, and we 've got a, a pen and ink drawing of a couple um, walking arm in arm a, a man and a woman they 've got very haughty, supercilious expressions they 're obviously going to a, a very fancy restaurant in a in a very Parisian way. And uh, vertically on the left-hand side, sort of running uh, next to, to the woman's body, is "C'est Paris" in uh, in sort of handwriting, I suppose. But that's not what makes this card hideous. What makes it hideous is that after presumably drawing these people, the artist, um, or you know, perhaps an advisor, I like to think that he was out for lunch <laughs> with a friend who had no artistic ability or integrity. And and the friend said, you know what would really make this <laughs> image better is if you took this uh, clip art picture of the Eiffel Tower and put it on top of the woman's head like it was her hat. Genius. And, Genius. and so Serge did that. And then the friend said, yeah, it's, it's still not quite enough. I, I think what you need is to, is to turn upside down another of those clip art Eiffel Towers and use one... As an umbrella. And so the man is, is sort of leaning on an umbrella, which is the Eiffel Tower. And then the friend has said, Oh, oh I know, I know, quick, more, more <laughs> wine, more wine. Uh, Encore yeah, du vin. Let's have one as the man's tie. Oh. Um, and then they get through another pichet of wine. And then just before they finish their lunch, and, and we think that we're safe. The friend says, you know what you should do? You, you absolutely should do this, Serge. Um, you should use two tiny, tiny Eiffel Towers as the woman's heels. <laughs> and if you look very carefully at the yeah. bottom left-hand corner of, of this card, she is indeed walking on two Eiffel Towers. It's quite the most awful, awful, ghastly, ugly card that I've ever seen. And so wow. I kept it.
2: I, I completely can see that cr- productive creation process you described. I can see that happening. And the, the, the heels, there's not even any point because you can't see them.
3: You you can't see them. They are um, actually sort of, you know, very, very poor sizing. Um, she wouldn't be able to walk at all. Um, and in fact, you know, proportionately her feet are very, very small compared to uh, her hips and the rest of her, so I, I worry that she's storing up bunions for her in in her <laughs> later years.
2: Les bunion, De Perry. Were, were you <laughs> going to send this to someone, or did that happen? Or?
3: Do you know? I wish I could remember. Um, I, as I said, I just I, I sort of I still do it to some extent. I, I will collect terrible cards and um, and then serve them up to people if they're feeling a bit glum, because I think nothing yes. cheers you up more than getting an awful card through yes. the post. Well, there's a certain energy I think you're to being
4: it. very, very harsh. Actually, <laughs> I think the umbrella is genius. Oh, yeah, I it think
3: if he, if he had just s- stopped at the umbrella, at the umbrella, yeah, it might have worked. I still, I mean, it's still ghastly and cliched and horrible. It's, it's just, it's the proliferation of Eiffel towers that makes yeah. this yeah. card truly, truly awful.
2: You don't think it's a, a rather clever comment on the sort of fetishization of the eiffel tower in yeah. in all iconography of paris and he says say paris you know we is that all we are are we just the eiffel tower everywhere is there no more to us than that
3: that is hilariously insightful but absolutely <laughs> uh, not the case
2: <laughs> i think I... maybe i'm drawn to
4: this postcard more than you are claire because make i make an myself... offer make an offer <laughs> I, I see myself in the spectacled shaven headed uh well dressed man.
3: I don't believe uh, he you are as supercilious as as he is. Um Oh I can I, be. I'll I tell, be. tell you what what I, one of the reasons why I was I was drawn to this card is because I did this is a a little known fact that I don't think I've ever mentioned in Good. in any interview. Um, I uh, so so I worked in Paris for a while and I was I was very young. I've, I've lived in Paris twice, and this particular time I was uh, seventeen, eighteen, and I worked in um, in a hotel for a while, and then I found myself without a, a job, but not quite ready to come home. I, I was due at university a, a few months later. And I got a job selling art on the street. And you'll know if you've been to to Paris that there are often uh, paintings for sale um, on, you know, on on street corners, um, uh, along with hats, you know, with with umbrellas on them and all sorts of of other gadgets. Anyway, this this was the gig at nine o'clock in the morning. I would have to go to a particular location, hand over a small amount of money to receive these paintings uh-huh. that I would then sell as though they were mine um, for a little bit more money. And wow. I did this for about three weeks, along with all the other tradespeople, and we used to have to keep it in turns to keep watch for, for the gendarme because uh, you weren't allowed to do that, and you'd stamp your foot um, very loudly and everyone would run away. Wow. Um, but what I discovered in doing this is that I, well, A, I'm not a saleswoman, <laughs> but... B i couldn't really sell these paintings which were awful unless i pretended that i was french and so as oh. soon as i said to people uh well yes i uh, i did this uh, this painting myself uh, this morning uh, in my attic then i was able to sell it but if you look very closely because all these paintings had been done for you know less than minimum wage by people who had never been to paris right. you'd have a, a a quite a good technical picture of of the eiffel tower but around it would be sort of um you know dirt streets and the occasional elephant it, it, there oh. was no there was no actual <laughs> understanding of of what the city looked like it was wow. a, a very extraordinary uh, experience and one i'm not keen to repeat but this postcard reminds me very much of those paintings and of that time in paris
2: very good. we we uh, to go back to your street painting gig <laughs> Were you sort of at the front end of a huge organised crime uh, ring? <laughs> no, I, I I'm, ask, I'm asking out of general interest.
3: OK, so I don't think so. Um, I mean, we, you know, we have to remember I was only 17, 18 and, and perhaps not as worldly wise as I could have been. Um, I think it was more... I mean, I suspect the paintings themselves came from uh, people that were not possibly very well paid or looked after and and with the hindsight that i have now and and the sort of um the the maturity of my years it is not a situation i I would want to encourage now um but I think the only crimes that were committed really by myself and my fellow street traders were trading without a, a licence. And oh, okay. Quite you know, I think even yeah, even with my police head on, I think I would let us off that. Um right. it, it was a hugely fun time working around the Sacré-Cœur and, and other touristy places. It's a fantastic
2: thing to have done. Maybe not to do, but to have done.
3: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, isn't that so true of most of our lives though? Yeah.
2: And and just one I, I, I know I sound a bit obsessed. Were, were these pictures, were they did they have a lot of impasto, you know, that have piled up paint? Were they thick?
3: Yeah, yeah. They, they were um they were very Never mind very the quality,
2: sort of of feel the width, you know.
3: Oil paintings, lots oh, of yes. lots of colours, all the colours. We'll yeah. use all the colours. Um and of course often they would have two Very, very famous uh, Parisian monuments in the same picture, even though, of course, you know, Notre Dame is nowhere near the top of value. Um, Just let's cram in as much as as we can. And never mind that the people don't look like they're Parisian.
4: I think I bought one of these paintings, but probably <laughs> 15 or 20 years No earlier, refunds. No I refunds. I think it had been running for a long, long time. This
2: this scam.
3: Oh, it has absolutely uh, years, yeah. and and continues, continues to run. Yeah.
2: Well, now I think uh, all those paintings in those in those cities are all painted in China.
3: I yeah. suspect that a and lot of over. them. Yeah, I, I suspect a lot of them were China or or India, or because that's that's exactly why the, the background just wasn't quite right sometimes. Right. So actually the paintings themselves were were, were really, you know, c- quite good. There was some some talent there in terms of presenting, you know, you, you can imagine the artists being given perhaps postcards
2: of
1: yes, the Eiffel yes. Tower
3: and, and said, right, there you go, paint that. And they would paint that, but they would paint it within the context of their own environment.
2: Brilliant. Well, there's a whole sub-genre, isn't there? These sort of transnational... Um, kitsch paintings that come from somewhere and go somewhere. Someone should put a book out about them, not me. But (laughs) there's a publisher in the room, so maybe. (laughs) Very good. Well, look, thank you both so much for um, sharing these cards with me. As I say, I never know where the cards will send us. Um, And they were really, really interesting and odd, the things that came from them, so I'm, I'm delighted about that. Another quick reminder for everyone at home, images of these cards... Um, in you can look at the one of the uh, the Eiffel Towered people through your <laughs> fingers. Um, they're all going to be on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk. And now before we let uh, Claire and Nicholas back to their real worlds, um, it's customary for us to end the show with one of these special things. Now, in the normal days when we're in the studio, I'd hand it across and, and with a quizzical expression and hope that they would... Um, have some interesting responses. But we're going to have to look at our sheet. But the last card on your, your, your dope sheets um, is a, a very brightly coloured card. Um, I don't know if you could describe this to us, Nicholas.
4: Uh, it's
2: a birthday card, and uh, what we
4: see are some uh, bunny rabbits. Basically, there's a mummy bunny rabbit, and she is playing, she's hosing down a uh, a sort of ring of children bunny rabbits who are
2: de- trying i don't know t- trying to avoid the jets of water coming from her hose pipe if they were people they'd be squealing with delight or children rather, yes. but but they don't yes. they just look rather un- unhappy about it to me they look uh yeah slightly unhappy
4: uh, i like the robin in in the uh, bottom left hand corner
2: Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe the robins crept in a bit, like one of the elephants in in Claire's Paris pictures. It's from from a different picture. Well, um, I, I probably don't need to explain, but you'll see a little white dot in the middle of the picture, uh, of the postcard. That's because this is a postcard that also functions as a gramophone record. You can play it on a record player, um, which is which is a good. It's a big one. It's of double the size of a normal postcard, perhaps a bit more actually. Um, so if I ask young Tom back at Wardle Studios very nicely. He's made a digital file of this for us from a record player, and we can see if we can listen to the postcard.
3: This is amazing.
2: <laughs> oh, it's a bit scratched, I think. This
4: yeah, I can see the grooves
2: now.
3: Incredible. incredible. <laughs>
2: It's funny how I couldn't see the grooves before. Uh, well, obviously under the, you know, if you have the thing in your hand, it's obvious. So the grooves yeah. are stamped into the kind of glossy surface of it. Yeah, yeah, they run across Mummy Bunny's um, face. Exactly, exactly. It, it, they look intact, but it, it is a bit scratchy. This one.
3: I love this. So what? What would be the modern equivalent of this then? What on earth would we send that someone can both see? You get
2: those. You get the cards that just make a. A digital tune, don't you? You open them up and Elvis sings. Oh I yeah! It's a bit yeah. Like that. Oh
3: yeah, that's true. That's true. I do, I do like the... multi multi-functioning card. I I yes. have a card that I haven't sent yet, a postcard that is made of um, very thin um, wood, and ah. um, you can pop out the pieces and and put together a boat. And I haven't decided who really? to send that to yet. Yeah, uh, but yeah. it's a
2: beautiful card. No, I think that's great.
3: I'm
4: trying to read the trying to read the signature. It looks like Jeffrey
2: Robinson. I think a Roche yeah. it's a Rosh Heath. It's definitely a Rosh
3: something.
2: It's a. Oh. That's it. It's We've fallen that's, off the edge. It's, no fade it, out there. That party ended rather suddenly. <laughs> well, I love that. As that we, is
3: glorious.
2: As we bathe in the reflected memory of the sprinkling bunny rabbits. Um, who have now ceased to rotate at 33 and a third revolutions per minute. That's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their past, Nicholas Royal and Claire McIntosh. Thank you both.
3: It's been such a pleasure. Thank you.
2: And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at PastPostcard. And you can buy the book, Postcard from the Past, by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.